You know, a few weeks ago in our Lift series at the beginning of the year, which, by the way, we'll be revisiting in just a few weeks with our Life Group series, but uh, in that series, I preached a message about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and talked a little bit about the initial physical evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, which is speaking with new tongues. That experience is referred to as a Pentecostal distinctive uh, in that it is, it is unique to the Pentecostal church. But I just want to say at the beginning of this message, and this is really just to, to lay a foundation, we're going to uh, move in a different direction here pretty quickly, but that idea of, of the Pentecostal distinctive, I want you to understand that what makes uh, the church unique is not necessarily what is most important. That's one of the mistakes I think that, that we've made oftentimes is whatever stands out the most becomes the most significant. Maybe it's the old uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease adage that we could apply. But the reality that is this, and, and we're talking about mission in this series, and so all of us can, can lean into this thought that being Pentecostal is not about pursuing gifts of the Spirit. It's not about having an experience necessarily uh, in church that we would define as a Pentecostal experience. Being Pentecostal means being on mission. Let me say that again because it's only like 930 on Sunday morning. Being Pentecostal means being on mission. Let me, let me explain a little bit more because I haven't convinced the longtime church folks yet. You're like, no, 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 no. I know what Pentecost is. Listen, the term Pentecost goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when, when God was speaking through Moses and he was giving the people uh, patterns for worship. And in Exodus 23, he gave them the festival of the harvest. It was a Jewish festival. We don't celebrate those festivals. We're not a Jewish culture, but they gave them that festival to, to celebrate the bringing in of the harvest. And, and Pentecost is the name, that is that holiday. So understand this, when we say we are Pentecostal, what we're saying before anything else is we're saying we are harvesters. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be harvesters. This morning, in this second week of this series called On Mission Every Day, I just want to challenge us to that end. I want to speak to the church, but even if you're here and maybe you're a guest and you're not really sure where you fit into the church, I want you to understand that for us, as the people of God, there is a mandate, there's a responsibility that we feel as men and women of God, that God has called us to live our life full of purpose, not, not the purpose that fills our tank, not the purpose that we, we decided to pursue, but the purpose that he created us for. And so I want you to know that to be Pentecostal means to be a harvester. I read a great stat this week, and, and, and this is, I think, indicative of this reality in the Pentecostal church. Every 41 seconds, Every 41 seconds, someone somewhere in the world is surrendering their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ through an assembly of God church. Isn't that incredible? Now, that's not just today, not every 41 seconds on Sunday. I mean, every 41 seconds on any given day of any given week of any given year. That communicates the, the incredible work that God has done that we are called first and foremost to be harvesters. That's, that's what he equipped us for. And, and the reason I'm starting here is because we just saw the verse in the intro video, Acts 1-8, that said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power 
to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what I need you to know as you look at that verse is that you can't expect, or at least you shouldn't expect that power from the Holy Spirit and not be committed to that purpose. The power that the Holy Spirit wants to give us is for the purpose of being his witnesses. It's not, about a, it's not about a gift. It's not about a prayer language. It's not about a church experience. It's not about a denomination or a fellowship or, or any of those cultural things. Being full of the Spirit of God is being compelled by the power of God to fulfill the purpose of God. I'd say that twice. You can write it down, but I don't have it written down. So I hope you remembered what I just said. God wants to use us, compelled by his spirit, to fulfill his kingdom purpose. And so the idea behind this whole series, last week, today, next Sunday, the idea behind this whole series is simply this, and and I said this last week, that mission is not just a fund you give to, and mission is not just a place that you go to, that mission is wherever, whenever, That mission is not the coordinates that you put in the map and say that's the mission field, but it's understanding that we are the walking coordinates. That everywhere I go, I am on assignment that God has called me to live out this mission. And last week, I I challenged the church. I challenged you to make a mission goal for 2019. Not a mission giving goal, though we want you to do that, but a mission going goal. Last week, we kind of threw the gauntlet down and said, This year, I'm going to make it my mission to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take one of those 41-second time slots. This year, my life, God's going to use me to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. And so in this thought of being on mission everywhere, every day, in every place, at every pace, I want us to consider for a few moments today how it looks to be on mission in the place where we move the fastest, where we cover the most ground, and where we talk to the most people. What does it look like to live on mission online? Your largest audience, my largest audience, is not here on Sunday morning. My largest audience is all the people that I'm connected to through social networks. What does it look like for me to live my life on mission and to do it not just in God's house or in the workplace, but to do it online? Now, listen, let me just say at the beginning of this message, I know that there are a few exceptions probably in the room today. There are some of you that you would say, you know what, I'm not online. I'm I'm not on social media. I don't have... uh, I don't even have downloadable movies on my TV. I can't stream anything unless I go get my feet in the water. Like, you know, there are a few exceptions, and I get that. But if that's you today, do this for me. Don't, Don't check out. Transpose this word into another area of your life where life and culture and the devil himself is trying to get you to to take your eyes and your focus off of the kingdom purpose of God and to give it to something else and to something less. Because I know there are other things that are challenging us in that way. 
I want to challenge you to transpose these thoughts, but for the vast majority of us, let me, let me just say a couple things to kind of get us all on the same page. I read a few stats this week in my research. Nine in 10 Americans, age 18 to 49, own a smartphone. Over 40% say they feel addicted to it. I know it's so quiet because that didn't shock anybody, right? You're just... More than half of all Facebook users check in several times a day. About one-third of U.S. adults say they would panic if their phone stopped working. Some of you would probably panic if I asked you to just turn it off right now because that, that, that's surreal to you, the idea of just not being able to just know. I mean, probably nobody's going to call you, but if they do, if they do in this next 40 minutes, you don't want to miss that call. And so, true stat, one-third of U.S. adults said they would panic if their phone stopped working. So, before I dive too deep into this rabbit hole, let me just tell you what the genesis of this thought is from my heart, because it's biblical. It's not about social networks. We looked at this verse last week, but I want to look at it again. It's the Great Commission. It's it's one of uh, the interpretations of the Great Commissions. It's Matthew's interpretation. Here's what it says. Look at it with me. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at that verse, and I emphasized the fact that, that he says, go, but he's really saying, as you go. In other words, the the emphasis is not on the going, it's not on the location, it's as you go, that we're called to make disciples. And and this is where I I want you to lean in with your heart as I kind of translate this message into the 21st century and into how it plays out in media every day in our lives, on mission every day. We're called to make disciples. We're not called to make converts, though it starts there. We're certainly not called to make conservatives, though some people have confused that with the mission of the church. We're not called to make church attenders, though I do think good Christians ought to be church attenders. We're called to make disciples, and if we're going to make disciples, then we have to truly be disciples, amen? I mean, it has to flesh out in our life. It has to be more than just a time slot on the weekend. It has to be something that affects and permeates every area of your life. And so I'm getting in the weeds this morning. I know that. Of social media and and instant access to the whole world. But I'm doing it because I think this is an area that, that touches us like no other generation ever before. Just simply because of technology, we have fights and battles for our time and our attention that that our predecessors never had. And we have to learn how to navigate those waters. We have to learn how to live on mission every day, how to be present in the place that God has put our feet when we have the potential of being present anywhere in the world. So what does it look like for us personally to be committed disciples I got to be honest with you, as I was thinking about this, there was a lot of things I was tempted to preach about when it comes to social media. I'm not going to. I I was tempted, not going to, but I was tempted to preach about those 
messages that I always get from people that say, if you love Jesus, you'll share this. I was tempted to preach about those because, man, I hate those. So let me just get it off my chest and say, if you ever send me a message that says, if you really love God, you'll share this with 10 people, I can promise you I'm not sharing that with anybody. I don't know who started that or where that came from, but the, the, the shallowness of our faith sometimes is learned through culture. We can start to believe in things like mysticism, like God's going to bless you if I get five amens in the next hour. Really? Is God up there monitoring social media? Does God care if you share this or like that or put a heart on that? I mean, come on. Come on. What kills me, I get these messages from people that God wants to bless you if you don't break the link. If you stop this message and don't consider, that's called spam, people. <laughs> but I'm not preaching on that. So I'm not, I'm, I was saying that was what I'm not preaching on. I'm not going to go down the road of pleading for attention. And when you look at social media today, Christians, as much as anybody, we're starved. We're starved for attention and af affirmation. We need that release of, of dopamine that we get in our brain when somebody likes your picture. And so we just selfie ourselves to death. Not going to preach about that. <laughs> Not every selfie is sinful, but I mean, come on, at some point, at some point, we got to know who we are in Jesus, right? I mean, come on, we just got to know that we're loved, that we're accepted, and that that affirmation from the world is never going to fulfill us. But that's, another, that's somebody else's sermon. That's not mine. I almost preached about how Christians bait people into debate. Now, not just Christians. I mean, come on. We, we learned it honest. We learned it in our culture. But can I tell you that that's wrong? It's wrong to use our, our, our words to just stir up controversy to, to, I mean, in fact, you know, Proverbs says there's seven things the Lord hates. Those are pretty strong words. And one of them is a person that stirs up division. Not a whole lot of things that the Bible says God hates, but a person who's a pot stirrer, a person who stirs up division and controversy. But we're not preaching about that. We're not, we're not going there today. But it's wrong to use your words as weapons. And can I say what's even worse than that while I'm not preaching about these things? It's, it's worse to use God's word as a weapon. Come on. Don't be that person that, that sees a debate and you go, oh, okay. You know, you pull out your Bible app and what does the Bible say about whatever? And you find a verse. You don't know the context of that verse. You don't know who that word, you don't know anything. You just, that verse just sounds like it fits with that argument, and you just throw it out there like a landmine. Just like, like you're gonna just throw a Holy Ghost bomb, a dirty bomb on the whole conversation. What do you think is gonna happen? Repentance? You think everybody's gonna surrender their hearts to the Lord? Oh my, I didn't know Leviticus said that. I was wrong. You were right, and I'm going to publicly post it in front of my 752 friends. That will never happen, okay? I get frustrated even thinking about it. That's why I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching on that. I'm not preaching on that today. I want to talk about other stuff, okay? Can we talk about other stuff? Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what it looks like for us to be discipled 
by the Lord in every area of your life. I want to talk about what it looks like for me and for you personally as the people of God. So rather than letting media impact us, letting the mission of our lives impact the way we view media and everything else for that matter. But here, here's what I know, and, and you know it too. You can't take somebody somewhere you're not going. You can't take somebody somewhere you've never been. And so while it would be easier to stand up here and skip rocks and throw stones at folks, you know, and have fun doing it and talk about what's wrong with the world and how everybody gets it wrong, can we just be a little bit more introspective today? Can I be a little bit more introspective today and talk about what it looks like for us to go somewhere that God has called us to lead other people? You know, Jesus Jesus knew that you can't take somebody somewhere you're not willing to go. That's why he didn't come to earth to point the way. Jesus came and he said, I am the way. I am the way. And his invitation was not, you need to get going down the right road. His invitation was, follow me. That's what discipleship looks like. So if we're going to be committed to being on mission, we have to be willing to go where we're pointing people to. We can't just say it on Sunday. We can't just post about it. We can't just talk about it. We actually have to be willing to put on gospel shoes and walk this thing out. Jesus said, I am the way. Follow me. And he called us to walk in that same path. So here's what I want to say. Just point one, if you're keeping notes, the heart follows the habits. It's true for me. It's true for you. The heart follows habits. See, most of us know the way that we should go. It's not, it's not for lack of information. We know what we should do, but our hearts are following our habits. And that's the place where real discipleship actually happens. It happens in the habit level, not in the head, but in the heart. The things that we give our hearts to, the, the daily rituals that you do, they say more about your heart and what you believe than your mouth ever will. Amen? We often say it this way in our church, and it's not original to us, but I believe it's true, that behaviors eat beliefs for breakfast. You can talk all day about what your convictions are, but we'll see and we'll know your life by the fruit that you bear. That's what Jesus said. A tree is known by its fruit. And can I just say, there are plenty of examples in scripture that speak about people that would that would follow God intellectually, but not practically. And, and can I just say, it's not good. The Bible doesn't have anything good to say about people that would mentally ascend to a set of values that are based on God's word and yet not practically live those out, practically ignore those things in the day-to-day -day of their lives. I don't want to depress you, but let me just give you a couple of them. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 8, this is Jesus speaking. He said, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. The heart follows the habits. And so they're giving lip service. They're saying the right things. They might even be showing up in the right places. But their hearts are far from me. In that same book, Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus said this. Pretty strong words. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You are whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead 
and everything unclean. Howard Hendricks said it like this. He said, when God measures a man, he puts the tape around his heart, not his head. The heart follows the habits. And mo most of us, as I look across this room, I'm looking at people that love Jesus. I'm looking at people that, that were just singing earlier. I will build my life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Most of us, we know. We know the things that, that we should do for the most part. We know the places that we should go for the most part. And in our head, we know we're even called to make disciples. Most of the people in this room this morning have probably at least heard verses like, like 2 Corinthians 5.20. And, and most of us would agree with the message of that verse. It says, we are Christ ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us. We, we understand that on a, on a logical and intellectual level. But last week I shared the stat with you that life research revealed only 2% of Christians in America invite someone to church within a 12-month period. And, and so while we know there, there's a disconnect from what we know and from what we do. Now, I said this last week. I'll say it again. I believe our church is, is a lot higher than 2% because we have first-time guests here on a regular basis. So somebody's either really picking up the slack or all of us are at a better level than 2%. And I thank God for it. But that number shows that there's a disconnect. If, if only 2% of, of the Christians in America are inviting people to come to church that they're just the base level of evangelism, not soul winning, just the, the easiest rung on the ladder, just invite somebody to join you. Then you tell me what that means. I believe it means that we are the product of our behaviors more than our beliefs. I believe it means that our habits follow our heart. See, the problem is not orthodoxy. It's not what we intellectually believe. It's orthopraxy. It's how we live this out. We, we can debate about belief systems, but I'm talking about application. It's, it's those small decisions. It's the little decisions that we make every day. I, I'm not even talking about the decision like, should we go to church or not? I, I mean like, the small decisions that we make every day that ultimately define who we are. It was 1503 when Leonardo da Vinci began painting tiny little brushstrokes on a piece of poplar wood. 14 years later, and hundreds of thousands of brushstrokes, and finally that piece of poplar wood became the Mona Lisa. Experts are still x-raying that piece of art, trying to figure out how in the world da Vinci painted strokes as small as the head of a pin. It's amazing how, how small and detailed it is. It's tiny little acts of persistence, the small things. Recent research says that nearly 40% of our daily actions are not choices. They're not choices, rather they're, they're habits. 
40% of the things that you do on a daily basis, habit. You just do it today because you did it yesterday, because you did it the day before. They're little pin dots in your life that you never really even notice until they aggregate into something significant, until you realize one day that there's there's a life that's coming into view. There's a picture that's coming into view. There's a purpose or a lack thereof that is coming into clear view. It's the small decisions. It's the daily habits that you do over and over and over again that become the brushstrokes that make up the painting of your life. Your heart follows your habits. You are the product of your habits. So what does it look like then for a person to be on mission with their media, because God knows we have habits when it comes to media. Small habits, just constantly being connected, constantly being engaged. I'm going to tell you some of those things, and this message is not to say all media is bad. I'm preaching from an iPad, okay? I can't say that too authoritatively. Not all media is bad. But there are things in our life that want to rob us of our purpose. For example, maybe this has been you before. You know, you're that person, you come to church and, and you meet people, you shake hands, and then you go back about your life and, and in your mind, you know, the Holy Spirit's maybe even dealt with you and convicted you. You know, you need to be intentional about Christian community and you need to get invested and you hear talk about life groups and you know what, I, I should probably do that. But you rationalize, I just don't have time. I mean, I got so much going on and yet you manage to get... 10 hours of Netflix in a week, right? Because that one show just ended and man, the countdown started. I got like 15 seconds to decide if I'm going to sit here for another 45 minutes or if I'm going to get up and do something productive. And that's just the reality of how media begins to define us in a very practical way. Or maybe it's this scenario. There's somebody that God has put on your heart like more than once. They keep coming back to your mind and you know you should call them. You know you should talk to them. You know you should pick up the phone or you should, you know, just set a time that you can get together or, or go visit them. But, but again, we're so distracted. We tell ourselves, I'm too busy. I, I just don't, I mean, I don't even have time this week that I could go and do that. And yet we say that while, while we're scrolling through Facebook for the seventh time today. I'm talking about how habits that you don't even think about begin to define and redefine or deform the mission and the purpose that God has for our life. Or, or maybe you're the person that says, you know, I really need to start reading my Bible. I know I should, but I mean, I'm just not a reader, honestly. I'm not a reader. And yet, you'll read 100 status updates a day. So it's not that you're not a reader, you're not a thinker. Because we've, we've, boiled our thought depth down to 140 characters or less. It's not that you don't read. I mean, you know what exit to get off. You like to see what's happening in people's life. You're, you're quick to click the link and read the headline without the article. We don't think. Now, listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm talking to us, okay? I'm, I'm preaching into a mirror today as much as I am to a congregation. The reality is we can make excuses and we don't even know where we came up with them. Because we don't see the disconnect. Why? Because the vast majority, of, it's just habit. It's just the world we live in. I don't know how I got here. I just am here. And we can make excuses. 
For some of you, you, you it's, it's your prayer life. You know you, you should pray more. You really ought to, you ought to talk to God more, but, but your habit is to reach over and every morning to turn off the alarm. And you've got it in your hand, and so instead of letting God have the first word in your day, you, you want to see what everybody else is saying. See what's going on in everyone else's world, and, and, and then we just get enamored with everything and anything that is other than the mission of God. There's one voice that, that I need to hear from every day. There's one voice that you need to hear from every day, and it's the voice of our Father. That is the voice that's going to give us the affirmation we need. That is the voice that's going to give us the validation we need. It's the voice that's going to give us the direction that we need for our life. But we allow the noise of life to stifle out the voice of our Heavenly Father, and, and we can do it over and over again, and, and we can wake up in the morning with regret that we didn't spend time with God yesterday, and then come nightfall, we can just zone out in front of the TV until our eyes fall shut, never controlling the media enough to give God access to speak into our lives. I was reading in Exodus chapter 34 this week, and uh, that's, the, that's the chapter where Moses goes up the mountain, and he gets into God's presence, and he has this incredible encounter with God, and God speaks to him, and it's powerful, and it's awesome, and then he comes back down the mountain, and the Bible says that when he came back down the mountain, the people were afraid. The people were afraid because there was a radiance to Moses' face. He was glowing because of being in the presence of God. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm just, this is the way I read the Bible sometimes. When I read that, I genuinely laughed. I laughed out loud. Here was my spiritual thought. I thought, wow, you know, I, I actually get scared to be in some Christian's presence too because their face is glowing. But it has nothing to do with being in God's presence. It has to do with the backlit screen. And I don't know what's coming out of their mouth. And so they have a glow about them. And it's scary. What I want to say to you is that if we could just distance ourselves a little bit from, from the glow of media in our life, and we could actually move into the, hear the heart of God again, to tap into what he wants to say to us and how he wants to lead us, he would disciple and mold and shape our lives in a powerful way. What you do or neglect to do influences who you are. Second thing I want you to understand today is, is just simply this. Discipleship is happening in your life. It's not, should I be discipled? I'm thinking about maybe, you know, trying faith out, pursuing God. I'm thinking about, no, no, no. Discipleship is happening in your life. See, here's the mistake we make. A lot of times we, we make this misconception that discipleship is a Christian idea. Like that's just what we do because this is the context that we've heard about it and this is the context that, that we talk about it. But can I just tell you that, that discipleship isn't a class that you take. It's not an experience that you have in a worship gathering like this on a Sunday morning. Discipleship is not something that you do during your quiet time, during your devotional time at church. No, discipleship is happening everywhere, in every place, all the time, in every aspect of your life. Whether you realize it or not, you're being shaped. You're being 
molded. I'm being conformed or transformed every day in every scenario. And it doesn't just happen in the church world. It, it happens through the movies that we watch. It happens through the music that we listen to. It happens to the, the podcasts that we download or, or the radio stations that we tune into or the social media feeds that we scroll through or the hashtags that we search out. We're being molded. We're being discipled. And the reason our culture shapes us is because of the way that God created us. See, before you're anything else, you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. Before you're a thinker, you're a worshiper. That's why, that's why you were created. God designed you and I to bring him glory, to be a reflection of his image created in his likeness. We are worshipers. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 that we have to guard our heart. Because your heart follows your habits. And, and, and whatever you habitually go after becomes the object of your affection. The Bible word for that is idolatry. It's worship. And so Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, it flows from the deepest level of who you are. It's the place where your passions are. It's the place where your desires are. It's the place where your feelings and emotions flow out of. I'm not talking about the, the pumping uh, organ. I'm talking about the seed of your emotions, your heart, your inner man. Everything you are, he said, flows out of that place. So it, it's not... It's not our thoughts and our beliefs that, that first motivate us and lead us. It, it's our hearts. It's our emotions. It's, it's at a deeper level than intellect. It's our desires. That's why, that's why our heads and our hearts don't line up. I mean, come on. We've all gotten into trouble in sin before, and it wasn't that we forgot what we were supposed to do, right? It's not that we forgot what... God had brought us out of before. No, in that motion, you had a battle between your head and your heart. And your heart wanted something your head knew was wrong. And you decided to follow your heart. You decided to go after your desires. And, and can I just say this morning, this is because discipleship is not just a Christian idea. What I'm talking about, following your heart and not your head, is not just a Christian line of thought either. In fact, I read something interesting from modern psychologist and sociologist David Foster Wallace in his essay titled, This is Water. He said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. And when Paul talks about those that are going to experience the judgment of God in Romans chapter 1, he doesn't say the judgment of God is coming on those because they didn't worship. He says the judgment of God is coming on them because they did worship, but they worshiped the wrong thing. Look at this verse, Romans 1.25. He said they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator for who forever is praised. Amen. What Paul was saying is what I'm trying to communicate today. Everyone is a worshiper. Everyone worships. And so 
That means discipleship is not deciding that now I'm going to worship. Discipleship is not saying now I'm going to begin to pursue something. Discipleship is rewiring our hearts towards the heart of God. It's, it's changing. It's, it's making real decisions, deliberate choices to say I'm rewiring my heart toward the heart of God. In Psalm 115 verse 8, it talks about those people that make idols. And often when we think about idols, we think about little carved images and, you know, uh, statues or voodoo dolls or something like that. But an idol is anything that's taken an exalted place in your life over God. And he said, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. And so, and so Paul gives us some practical advice. And I, I want to share this with you today. This is Paul's instruction on how, how we live separate lives, how we live on mission. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can I, I just say our, our world has changed a lot since Paul wrote that? But one thing that hasn't changed is our world wants to conform us. It may use different methods. It may use different technology. But the temptation is the same. And the admonition from Scripture is the same for us today, just as accurate. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how the Holy Spirit works in your life when you accept Christ. You don't just get an immediate download of the goodness and the righteousness of God. No, we got to walk this thing out. We got to figure it out as we go. But what the Holy Spirit begins to do is he begins to renew your mind. He begins to change your perspective. He allows you to see things that you were blind to before. And so he does it through daily habits. I mean, thank God for supernatural moments. Thank God for encounters. Thank God for, for the miraculous. But when we're talking about making disciples and being a disciple, that word disciple sounds an awful lot like the word discipline, doesn't it? We're talking about daily habits. And the Holy Spirit begins to show us things and teach us things and things that we had no inhibitions about before. Suddenly there, there's a reservation. There's a check in our spirit. There's a whisper of a better way of better balance, of better habits, of, of better discipline. And, and that's what it looks, when you begin to listen to that voice, that's what it looks like to block by block begin to build my life on Jesus. One piece at a time, one stone at a time. The Holy Spirit begins to teach us. Some of those disciplines are, are obvious, and they're the ones that we always say in the church, like, Praying, that's an important discipline. When you, when you begin a relationship with Jesus, 
You need to begin to talk to them on a regular basis. That's how you get to know someone. You talk to them. Prayer is communication with God. That's a spiritual discipline to say, I'm going to change the habit of my life. I never used to pray. You know, unless I I was, you know, about to be in a car accident, then I would pray like a one-word prayer, and I probably couldn't repeat it in church. You know, that kind of prayer. But when you know God, you begin to develop a discipline. Reading your Bible is another one. To say, you know what, I, I want to know God. And this is God's self-disclosing revelation to man. This is how I know God. So I'm going to begin to read the word. I've never read the Bible before, but now I'm developing a habit. I'm developing a discipline. Coming to church is another one. E- easy Easy discipline that I understand that, hey, when I get saved, Jesus, he put me in a family. I'm a part of the army of the Lord. I'm a a part of the blood-bought, redeemed people of God. And he's called us together. He's called us to encourage one another and build one another up and serve together. And so I'm going to be a part of the church. That's not rocket science. That's That's next steps. That's practical. We understand that these are habits that that change. Maybe the pattern used to just always go to the lake on the weekend or always go golfing or always go somewhere else. But when Jesus wrecks your life for the better, you begin to say, I have different priorities now. I mean, I really look forward to that trip. But man, our church is doing this big event that weekend and and I don't want to miss it. And then you have to decide. That's kind of a cool place to be because you realize like, wow, that used to never be tough for me. Now there's like a part of me that actually doesn't want to miss what's going on at church. Before it was like weekend, hallelujah. There's a shift. There's a habit. There's something. It's a process. You're growing in your relationship. Communion is another one. These are just disciplines of the church. Jesus said, as often as you drink this cup, as often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And so it becomes a part of our relationship with Christ. We meet him at the table of the Lord. Giving. Financial contribution. It's it's a discipline. It's a habit. Most people don't just wake up one morning after having a dream in the night and decide, I'm going to give 10% of my income to God, and I'm going to go above that, and I'm going to give to missions so the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. Usually doesn't happen that way. Usually somebody says, man, I can't even imagine what my life would look like if I tried to live on 90%. But I I want to build my whole life on his word, so... I'm going to start. I'm going to start somewhere, and I'm going to, I'm going to give the first 5% of my income to God. I, 10% scares the life out of me, but I'm going to do five, and I'm going to see if God will prove himself faithful. And then I'm going to do six. And then, I'm, then I'm going to do eight. And then I'm going to do nine. And then you get to the place where you realize, wow, I really can't outgive God. Like, the more I make him the priority of my life, my life falls into a line with his kingdom principles. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. But you don't get there because somebody just preached a compelling message about it. I mean, you might get excited about it, but come on, that's a different story next week when you got to pull the checkbook out. Talking about a discipline, talking about a devotion. Even this message right here that 
You're flooding me with amens about. It's okay. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens today. That's that's because it's a challenge, right? I mean, there's something that kind of rubs against us. You're hearing it, and you're going, okay, that doesn't feel great. But, But we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about following Jesus. And my hope is that that even this message would just challenge you to kind of realign a little bit your life, realign your your habits because your heart follows your habits. And and that it would cause you to maybe this week push away from a little bit of the me-centered culture that we live in and recognize that, that my life is meant to be built on something more. And I can't think of a more practical way than to emphasize our habits with media because they're spiritual disciplines. Maybe you never thought that before. You never looked at media as a spiritual discipline, but it is because it, it, it aligns our life to worship something. That doesn't mean all media is bad. It just means that it's pulling us in the direction of worshiping something. Discipleship is happening. And my, my heart for you today would be that you wouldn't let media or, or, or any other thing of this world that we live in hijack your mission and purpose. Here's what Peter said about it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I love that verse. This is what you're to do. Live in anticipation of the reality that, that Jesus is coming. He's coming. And so he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, that's a good explanation of older translations. But in this verse in particular, I, I, like, the, I like the old English translation. I like the way that King James has this verse because here's what it says. It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. It, that's a picture. Now, now, we don't do that in our culture. At least I don't do that in our culture. So the NIV translation is just fine. But in this day that it was written, when a warrior was getting ready to go to battle or when a messenger was getting ready to run with a message, they wore long flowing garments and they would literally gird them up. They would would pull them up and tie them up into their belt so that it was more like a pair of shorts so that it wouldn't trip them as they ran or as they went to the battle. And so so Peter's using this metaphor that everyone in that culture understands about girding up your loins to prepare yourself. And he says, you need to prepare your mind. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. Every day, you need to be sober-minded. You need to set your hope on the grace that is brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I want to challenge you to do that, to gird up the loins of your mind, to set your mind on the things of God. I read a great article in my research by Justin Early about setting limitations for ourselves in media. Now, this is going to be ultra practical, and just by way of conclusion, I just want to give you some practical steps. If this applies to you, use it. If it doesn't, pray for an application. God will give it to you. 
But here's some practical things that, that I thought were just beautiful. Number one, scripture before phone. I mean, if you're talking about resetting your habits, talking about getting uh, media on mission in our lives and not letting us pull us into wasting our opportunities. Just make a, a commitment this week. Scripture before phone. I, I won't for time's sake go there, but I, there are so many beautiful passages about how if we delight in the Lord and in his word, he'll guide our hearts. That his word is a lamp to our feet, that, that the statues of the Lord are our counselors in our delight. So many places we could go. Just read Psalm 119. Just for hundreds of verses, he just gushes about the word of God. We need to love the word of God and be committed to it. So a practical application, just, just commit. Say scripture before phone. You say, well, I, you know, I wake up to my phone. That's my alarm. Fine. Turn the alarm off and then set it back down and pick your Bible up and just say, you know, the first 15 minutes of my day, I can go another 15 minutes without knowing what's going on in the world. I can go another 15 minutes without answering those emails or reading the news updates or, or any other thing that, that we, we, we buy into the lie of habit that we feel like, I got to know this stuff. No, you got to know God. Amen. You've got to know God's word. You've got to know God's will for your life. And again, we know this. This is not orthodoxy I'm trying to drill into you. I'm talking about orthopraxy. Just saying, you know what, for me, scripture before phone. Let me give you a second one. Practical application. Try this. Turn your phone off for one hour a day. Just, just for one hour. Just turn it off. I mean, like, there is an off button. I mean, there's not, I mean, it actually goes all the way off. Some of you probably didn't know that. It does. Just try that. Turn it all the way off. Not silent, off. Not vibrate, off. Not face down, off. For a whole hour. And honestly, it sounds silly to some of you. You laugh because you don't relate. And some of you go, man, I got to be honest. Like that, there's like something in me that goes, I'm missing out. It's that FOMO, fear of missing out, you know? You got, what if somebody calls me? Voicemail. Or they'll probably call the person next to you, right? Because we can't get away from it. But just try it. Say, you know what? I'm going to just turn it off. Turn it off. See, here, here's the thing. The, the problem with our phones is not just distraction. It, it's presence. Right? Because, and and I, don't, I don't have to say this. We all live in the same world. But we're so attached. We, we've bought into the lie that we can be everywhere at one time. And, and in reality, what happens is we're nowhere. We're not present. And, and the, the narrative of the Bible is all about presence. In the beginning, God made us in his image, and he walked in the garden. Why? Because he wanted us to be with him. And then sin happened. You know what the wages of sin was? Separation from God's presence. And then Jesus came, and he died on the cross so that he could bridge the gap of separation between God's presence and our presence. That's the message of the cross. It's all about presence. And so we understand that these things are not just about uh, culture and technology. It's about things robbing us of presence. Jesus said the most compelling thing about the church, the one thing that's going to reach the world more than anything else for the gospel, if you want to live on mission every day, he said, the world is going to know you're my disciples because you love one another. And we don't even look each other in the eye. On mission. Every day. 
But your heart follows the habits. So start a new habit. Turn it off. One hour. Let me give you another one. Commit to one hour of face-to-face conversation with somebody every week. Just commit to it. Like one hour of face-to-face dialogue with somebody else this week. The University of Virginia released a report that basically said what we already all knew to be true, but now they've got the facts to back it up. The report said that the presence of phones at dinner tables with friends and on family trips diminishes happiness and meaningfulness of the experience. And we could all say amen to that. Because we're forgetting how to do real relationships. And just that, that, whatever that is in us that just wants to know what's going on somewhere else, when we do that, we communicate to everyone in front of us that you're not the most important thing on my mind right now. So just make a commitment. Say, you know what? For one hour every week, I'm going to give myself to face-to-face dialogue. Let me give you one final practical thing. And again, this is not original to me, but I thought this was so helpful. Curate your media down to four hours for a week. Now, for some of you, that's impossible. Fine. If if the number's impossible, then don't do four. Pick another number. The emphasis is not on the number of hours. The emphasis is on the word curate. Because here's, here's what we do. We have so much coming at us all the time, and we don't decide what media we get. Can I, can I just tell you something else we also all already know to be true? We are constantly being compelled into stories because stories are attractive and stories sell. And we're being marketed to know how the story ends. Even commercials now tell stories. We want to know how the story ends. And so one ends and then the next one comes and the next one comes and then the next one comes. And we're not deciding anymore what's influencing us. But it is. It's influencing us. And so to curate your media is just to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a conscious decision. Again, I'm not preaching against media. I'm just saying decide. Decide. Don't sit there and, and just scroll or channel surf or, no, decide. What am I going to let suck up my time and my heart and my habits and shape me and mold my convictions? And not just me, if you're a parent, by the way, know what your kids are watching. Know what's, know what's shaping and forming their world. Because one day you're going you're gonna to wake up and you're going to be shocked at how different their convictions are than yours. And you're going to wonder, why would you ever believe that? Because that's what I've heard all my life. Yeah. Because it was a tiny, tiny brushstroke. It was 100,000 brushstrokes. And then one day, boom, a world perspective has manifest. And it's not biblical. And how did I get there? Dr. Seuss wrote a great book. Maybe you've read it. Green Eggs and Ham. I'm not going to read it to you. But what I thought was interesting about that book was that he wrote it on a bet with his publisher. His publisher bet him that he couldn't write a book with only 50 unique words. That was the bet. Green eggs and ham was the outcome. 
As the story goes, he never actually collected on that bet, but he did sell over 8 million copies, so I don't think he needed the money. But he did it all because of self-imposed limitations. There's something in us that just pushes back. Like, don't, don't stifle me. Don't try to regulate my life. Don't, don't, try to put, don't try to hem me in. Don't put limitations on me. I'm going to tell you, there is a freedom and there is a grace that you can know when we begin to impose limitations on the things that we haven't given our life to. And we give margin to the God who saved us. And we give margin to living on mission and say, God, I, I give you my life. I give you my life. Not just intellectually, but God, practically this week, I give you from 7 to 730. Because I've been giving that to everybody else. But this, this week, I give that to you. And this week, from 430 to 530, I, gi- I give you my life by giving my family my undivided attention. Phone's going off before I walk in the door. And, and I'm just going to be present because that was your gift to me. And your spirit lives in me, and that's my gift to other people. And you just begin to walk this thing out. And God begins to teach you, and God begins to shape your life. I want to pray for you today. Father, thank you so much that I can have this moment with the people of God, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. (laughs) I'm reminded today, God, of those words Howard Hendricks said, that our problem is not that we are in the word, but... Our problem is that we're not under the word. God, help us to come under the word today. Help us to submit our lives and to build our lives on you. God, thank you that this week, Lord, you want to bless us with your presence. God, thank you that this week, Your Holy Spirit is equipping us and strengthening us to to be disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. To be on mission, even in our media. To follow with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. God, thank you today for whispering your love to us. Even through words of conviction, thank you, God for affirming the purpose and the plan that you have for us and calling us upward in Christ Jesus today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who always leads us upward to who you've called us to be.